Wake up. It's the Sleep Unplugged podcast, episode 47, Mouth Taping and Sleep. Our lips are sealed. Welcome everyone to the podcast. My name is Dr. Chris Winter. I'm a neurologist and sleep specialist. Happy you're with us. If you're new to the pod, welcome. We're glad you're here. If you're a friend of the pod, welcome back. Glad you could make it. Happy Mother's Day to everyone out there in the Sleep Unplugged Nation. Hope you mothers got a little extra sleep before the sounds from the kitchen where everybody's getting up and making you breakfast woke you up. All mothers deserve extra sleep at all times. We're very pro-mother on this show. I know one very excited mother who had all three of her children with her this weekend, and it was awesome and, and really special. I hope you all had similar experiences. Very excited about this topic today. We've kind of moved around the spectrum of sleep, and this is sort of landing squarely on current current topics, trendy current topics. We did a episode a long time on trendy trendy episodes in sleep. We did sleep divorce and uh, orthosomnia and, and and revenge procrastination. The topic of mouth taping could easily have fit in into that episode. So we'll explore that topic today. Before we get going, a couple things. Correction from last week's episode about pillows. I mentioned Willie Nelson's sons as being Lucas and Nelson. Willie Nelson does not have a son named Nelson Nelson. I meant to say Micah. Those are the two sons that he recorded. Send me the pillow you dream on uh, with. Uh, no other corrections that I'm aware of from last week. I did want to spotlight a listener Emily reached out to the program through our YouTube page. And if you want to reach out and communicate with the show, you can DM me through Twitter and Instagram, Dr. Chris Winter. Love to hear from you, good or bad, corrections, criticisms, compliments, whatever you got, we'll, we'll take it all. Emily wrote about our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube as well, too. I try to post all the videos of our shows on there. Emily wrote, much needed channel, been struggling with sleep since I was 15 and now I'm 25, insomnia, regular nightmares, night sweat, sleep paralysis and hallucinations, both tactile and visual, waking up multiple times during the night, hoping to get better as I subscribe to your channel. Thank you, Doc. Thank you, Emily. I mean, that's a veritable who's who of the topics that we've talked about. I'm not sure if we've done one dedicated to night sweats, but we did do one on sleep and temperature, which I think is a very important one. So hopefully you'll find some value in the in the channel and the podcast, Emily, and I hope that of everyone. Just wanted another quick comment for those of you who've communicated with with me through these 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 outlets and sort of sent bigger questions or more specific questions about your medical history and problems. I'm really, unfortunately, not at liberty to answer those kinds of questions. I've had people write just, you know, paragraphs and paragraphs of things you've went through. And, and believe me, it's not because I don't care to sort of a legal situation. I really can't give specific medical advice. Although, you know, if you can get yourself into the Commonwealth of Virginia, we'd be happy to see you through our clinic. So let's talk about the song for today, 
Our Lips Are Sealed. I think most of you probably recognize that as the debut single from the Go-Go's off of their debut album, Beauty and the Beat, which is one of my favorite albums of all time and and really a, a stalwart of the new wave movement released in 1981. The song Our Lips Are Sealed was the debut single off that a lot of people think uh, we got the beat was because that was the most popular song that they recorded, but our lips are sealed. And it was written by Jane Weedland and Terry Hall, who is a sort of a, she had a relationship with this British singer who was the uh, member of the band, the specials. And they, he was engaged, I think to somebody, if I remember correctly, and had sort of an affair with Jane when she was very young and, and they kind of wrote this song together. Uh, the Go-Go's recorded it, more upbeat version. Uh, I think the specials recorded it. It's a little bit more somber and morose, I think. And and Jane was a real, you know, heavy-duty member. She was a founding member of the Go-Go's. She was their um, kind of rhythm guitarist, backing vocals. It was always a sort of competition that Jane actually had a great singing voice. She recorded, I think, a couple solo albums after she did part of the Go-Go's. But she always got told she couldn't sing on go-go albums however during the song our lips are sealed there's a bridge where she's singing hush my darling don't you cry she actually sings that and and that was sort of a, a big accomplishment to have anybody sing other than belinda and what's really interesting is even in the video belinda carlisle kind of hijacks her moment because they're driving around this convertible in the video and if you notice while jane's singing Belinda Carlisle's like actually bent over in the front seat, like hiding because she was just too lazy to get out of the car. Um, it was interesting. They also did sort of a friends kind of let's dance around the fountain in that video. If you've seen it, it's a great video if you watch it. And they were hoping that the police would come because they thought that would be a great sort of edgy moment during the video. If they were splashing around in a public fountain and the police came to arrest them and they got that footage, but no police came. Although speaking of the police, their manager was Miles um, Copeland, who was the brother of Stuart Copeland, the drummer for the police. And the Go-Go's actually toured with the police early in their career. Go-Go's, of course, inducted into the Hall of Fame, the Music Hall of Fame in 2021. Drew Barrymore sort of gave the speech to induct them, and she came out wearing a towel, just like on the cover of Beauty and the Beat, with her face all made up, just like the album cover, which was spectacular they actually bought those towels i think at macy's and then returned them after the photo shoot of the of the album so hats off to jane and her amazing song so let's talk about mouth taping why mouth tape why, why do it what are we talking about here and mouth taping is not entirely new uh, people have done it for a while in fact i remember when i was in i believe undergraduate my undergraduate um, program at the University of Virginia actually came out to some sleep apnea support groups. And we'll never forget a guy talking about duct taping his mouth shut when he wore his CPAP to keep the air, you know, kind of going where it was supposed to be and not open his mouth and, and lose that pressure. Back when we only had CPAPs, it was a continuous pressure. So if you were losing pressure through your mouth, it absolutely affected the efficacy of the treatment. Now with auto CPAPs, they have some degree of an ability to compensate for that leak that might happen if you were to open your mouth. When we talk about breathing through our nose, and let's throw out some disclaimers here. I'm a neurologist. I am not an ear, nose, and throat doctor. I'm not a 
rhinologist. I'm by no means an expert in the nose. However, I would consider myself an expert in sleep. So I really want to keep things focused on mouth taping and sleep, but we'll sort of cover the whole gamut here in the show. But just understand, as, as you always should, where are you getting your information from? And is this individual qualified to give you that information? And I think that mouth taping has fallen prey to that a little bit. It kind of reminds me of the whole lettuce water TikTok trend where people are talking about steeping some hot water, put some lettuce in and it knocks you out at night. And I think that was proven to be not particularly true, um, even though there might be some science behind it that was truthy, to borrow a term from Stephen Colbert. So why do we care about our nose? Why do we have this orifice here? Why not just have a hole directly into our trachea? And the nose serves a big purpose um, beyond smelling and, and, and olfaction. It heats the air that we breathe. It provides humidity, kind of moistens the air. It filters the air and, and gets particulate and pathogen, you know, allergens and particulate matter out of the uh, out of out of your nose, out of the air before you breathe it. And when we breathe through our nose, it actually facilitates the release of nitric oxide in our blood in our blood, which actually helps the oxygen carrying capacity and oxygen delivery capacity of our body. And we'll get we'll get more into that um, a little bit later. So I guess the first question to ask is, when we're talking about mouth taping at night, we're talking about individuals who are opening their mouth when they sleep. And, you know, is this a problem? Do a lot of people do it? And it's hard to find data about that. There was actually a 2022 Taiwanese study called Mouth Opening Breathing is Common in Sleep Apnea and Linked to More Nocturnal Water Loss. And in this study, it basically said individuals typically, um, who have sleep apnea and who do, do not have sleep apnea, the individuals who had sleep apnea were mouth breathing 96, 97% of the time. Those who didn't 26, 27% of the time, the end of, and in the same study, they were looking at individuals who, when they were mouth breathing, were completely breathing through their mouth. If you had sleep apnea, it was something like 14%. If you didn't, it was something like 2%. So they're sort of differentiating, do you have your mouth open when you're sleeping at night? And are you exclusively breathing through your mouth when you sleep at night? So it's hard to get numbers with that, but we can safely say that probably at least a quarter of individuals, their mouth is opening during the night to some extent. Um, <clears throat> and what does that, what, what does that mean? And, 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 you know, how long are people doing that? And, and it was interesting that uh, another study back in, in 2021, 2011, it was a British Columbia study out, out of British Columbia, was looking at uh, 42 individuals and trying to figure out what stage of sleep did most mouth opening occur. Stage one, about 18% of individuals were opening their mouth. Um, stage two, 23%, and stage REM, 29%, which makes sense because as we've talked before in REM sleep, a lot of individuals are paralyzed during that time. So it would make sense that if your muscle tone is absent in REM sleep, you may be more likely to not only open your mouth, but the muscles that are supporting your upper airway are probably more likely to collapse uh, during that time. So you know, we'll say out there a quarter of people are opening their mouth and probably more important for individuals who may have sleep apnea versus people who don't. And the sleep apnea thing we're going to touch upon very 
specifically because I think that we're making big jumps about the dangers of mouth breathing. And when you look at those leaps, they often relate back to the presence or absence of sleep apnea. And this is this episode is going to pair nicely if you're sort of what pairs nicely with the cheese, you know, what wine, what pairs nicely with this episode would be episode five of the podcast, where we talk about mild sleep apnea and the spectrum of sleep apnea. And we'll get back to that as well, too. So nose functions. We've talked about nasal breathing is helping to release nitric oxide, helps us take in more O2. You know, I read the book Breathe uh, by James Nestor. In fact, I have, have it here beside me. And it was interesting, you know, they were talking about breathing through your nose, releasing nitrous oxide, nitrous, nitric oxide, and this, and, and they were sort of making a comparison to Viagra working similarly. And, you know, one of the things I found problematic about this book and other books that are in that sort of genre of sciencey kind of things is, sure, breathing through your nose may increase nitric oxide to some degree. This doesn't really have a lot to do with the way Viagra works. And, and, and what I would say about that is, look, chocolate in studies shows that it actually increases releases of dopamine in people's brains. You know, you like chocolate, pop a chocolate, you know, salted caramel ball in your mouth. And if you could measure the dopamine release in your brain, you'd probably see it. It doesn't mean that we can use chocolate to treat Parkinson's disease or restless leg syndrome. In fact, there's a lot of individuals who feel like using chocolate actually would make you know, a condition like restless leg worse. So a lot of times I always find these books are sort of creating relationships. It's sort of a true, true, but these things are really unrelated. And we have to be very careful with those types of things that, you know, a lot of times these books talk in percentages it was a 500% increase. You know, what was the starting point? This is a big problem I always have with news. When I listen to news that the fighting resulted in a 58% casualty increase. Well, that could be a very small number depending on where you started. So we just have to be very careful with these types of things. I don't doubt that breathing through your nose has all kinds of functions like releasing nitric oxide. Taking the step towards and that is going to reduce your risk of X, Y, and Z is where we have a little bit of trouble. So let's get into mouth breathing, mouth taping, and sleep. I think the two obvious places that we can start are with snoring and sleep apnea. And there have been some studies looking at this. There are very small amounts of research looking at mouth taping. Just to be very clear about this episode, there's not a lot of evidence out there. So I think it's very important that as we try to be scientifically rigorous on this show, I'm not saying it works, it doesn't work, it's good or it's bad. I'm just saying that science hasn't really gotten to that point where we can say so yet. Um, and, and I think that's where we have to be very careful and, and like I said, rigorous about this whole affair. Is mouth taping positive? Maybe. But if we're going to look towards studies to determine that, we're not going to be particularly successful. So let's look and see what we've got. There was another Taiwanese study from 2022 called The Impact of Mouth Taping in Mouth Breathers with Mild Obstructive Sleep Apnea, a Preliminary Study. A lot of, lot of important words in that title. It's a preliminary study. 
And this is mild sleep apnea. Let's remember our scale from episode five. Zero to five breathing problems per hour, generally considered normal. Six to 15 or six to 20 mild, 15 to 20 to 30, 35 moderate, somewhere around 30 to 35, up to a theoretical limit of 180. My personal worst that I've ever seen is about 155 is severe. So we're talking about way over here in this five to 15 breathing problems per hour category. That's who constituted this study. 20 patients, they had mild apnea. And when you looked at mouth taping as a treatment for sleep apnea, about 65% had what these researchers would deem a good response meaning that it seemed to be improving their sleep apnea. And when you looked at the entire lot of these individuals, what that meant was on average, they went from having 6.5 breathing problems per hour to 4.7. So can you say the average individual in this study cured their sleep apnea? I, I suppose you could because they went from an average of more than five breathing problems per hour to an average just under it. And there was language in the the breath book about, you know, we noticed after just a week of mouth taping, we had cured our sleep apnea. Well, you know, slow your roll there a little bit. How bad was your sleep apnea to begin with? And it's kind of murky in the book as terms of what's going on. They talk about at one point, somebody was having 53 breathing problems. Okay. 53 breathing problems in a total night is almost certainly less than 10 breathing problems per hour. So we're talking about somebody with very mild sleep apnea to begin with. Do I believe mouth taping, positional therapy, sitting more upright, getting off of your back, sleeping on your side, an oral appliance like a dentist might make you, losing weight, not drinking alcohol before you go to bed at night? Do I believe that all those things I just listed, including mouth taping, could potentially treat mild, mild, mild sleep apnea? Absolutely, no question. So what's important though, is when you read the book Breath, they give the sense that you've taken somebody with very significant sleep apnea and just thrown some tape on their lips and it's gone. I, I don't think that happens. I mean, and we know this, and when we look, I mean, there's no study for it, but when we look at oral appliances, which I think are really good at treating sleep apnea, they're not just keeping the lips together. They're actually holding the jaw forward. When you look at the mouth taping mechanism for treating sleep apnea, it's by taping the mouth together, you're helping to prevent the jaw from sliding backwards and the oral contents from closing off the upper airway or creating more airway resistance. Sure, and an oral appliance can do that really well. Do most dentists think that oral appliances are going to be useful in treating the guy or the gal with 155 breathing problems per hour? No, no. So let's be very clear what we're talking about here. We're talking about moving a needle within a spectrum way over here on the left. You had eight breathing problems, now you have four. You had 12 breathing problems, now you have two. You know, and again, could you see that with the right pillow selection? Yes. Could you see that by simply rolling from your back to your side? 
Absolutely. We see it all the time. Could you see that by avoiding all the alcohol you drink before you go to bed and then, you know, having water instead of beer, right? Before, yes, absolutely. So this isn't necessarily ground shaking sort of stuff here. So, um, and again, there was another study, it was a 2023 study in um, Nature and Science of Sleep that looked at 71 individuals. And it was actually a study about mouth puffing. But there was a sense that individuals in that study who were mouth taping may have been having fewer breathing disturbances and less snoring. So do I think mouth taping can prevent snoring? Yes. Do I do I think that mouth taping can, you know, alter somebody's breathing problems per hour or the severity of sleep apnea in a small range? Absolutely. I just think we have to be very careful about hey, you're wearing a CPAP because you had 88 breathing problems per hour. Why are you doing that? You should just ditch the CPAP and wear mouth tape? No, I don't believe that. And I don't think most reasonable sleep specialists or sleep experts believe that either. And I think that we have to be very careful too that this whole mouth taping situation, if we're thinking about snoring, snoring is often the hallmark that brings a patient to see me. I have a lot of patients who come are like, look, I feel pretty good, but my partner says I, I needed to come see you because I'm snoring so loudly. Can we get that checked out? And lo and behold, you do the sleep study and they got pretty bad apnea. And after you treat the apnea, however you treat it, they're like, oh my gosh, I had no idea I could feel so good. I can't believe how badly I felt and didn't know it. I do worry that the use of mouth taping is hiding the one clue the one symptom that is probably going to get your partner to complain enough to get you to go see a sleep doctor. I do worry about that a fair amount. Um, anyway, so we were talking about when I was young, younger and, and undergrad, went to some sleep apnea support group meetings and saw mouth taping. So the third reason, so snoring, sleep apnea, sure, uh, CPAP compliance. You know, back in the day, CPAPs were generally nasal masks. They were triangular little masks that went over the nose. Now, they've always been full face masks that go over your nose and mouth, little nasal pillows. But back in the day, I can't quote you a number, but it seemed like most people were on a nasal mask. So you can imagine wearing a little nasal CPAP. And again, CPAP stands for continuous positive airway pressure. You're wearing the nasal mask. You're pushing air through the nose to prop the airway open. That's what a CPAP's doing. It's an air split. And you can imagine what would happen if you opened your mouth while that's on. So there's a pressure coming out of the mask that's trying to get back to your airway to prop it open. And as soon as you open your mouth, now you've released some of that pressure. And back in the day, the CPAP was truly a CPAP, continuous positive airway pressure. It was set at one pressure and it ran at that pressure all night long, regardless of what's going on. Most individuals these days seem to be on auto PAP. So if you're on an auto PAP and open your mouth, the device can compensate for that by raising its own pressure. The CPAPs back in the day couldn't. So a lot of individuals would actually use tape it was this 3M micro pull or transport tape a lot of people would use. Just put a little bit on their mouth just to keep their mouth closed so the pressure would stay in and the CPAP was more effective. Plus, let me tell you something. You want to you experience a dry, dry, dry mouth, wear a CPAP, put it on your nose, fall asleep, some point during the night, open up your mouth, and now you've got air continuously going in your nose and jetting out of your mouth 
this is the, you can't imagine how dry some people's mouths are when they're using a CPAP and that happens. I mean, I've had patients say, I stick, my tongue gets stuck to the roof of my mouth or my tongue feels like shoe leather. I mean, it's just like a hair dryer on your mouth all night long. So a lot of people did not want to experience that. So the taping sort of came into play. The other thing that people would often use in that situation was a chin strap. So, you know, as if the CPAP is not difficult enough, you've got this thing over your mouth and there's a whole configuration on your head, but you've also got this thing over your head that kind of comes under your chin and holds your, supports your jaw. So can you open your lips during the night? Yeah, absolutely. But a lot of times mouth opening at night is happening because the jaw is falling down, which is why a lot of people, they fall asleep sitting upright watching TV, their mouth will open and your partner sitting next to you kind of going, you know, kind of during the night. But if you're lying down and your face is on your pillow and your mouth is closed, you know, most people keep their mouth closed, I think. So the chin strap was helpful to kind of support the jaw to keep gravity from pulling it open. And it was also used kind of like mouth taping. There was a period of time many, many years ago where all these same claims about mouth taping were being made about you know, these, these, these chin straps that people would use. Uh, but they eventually kind of evolved into something that CPAP patients were using. Another interesting reason for mouth tape that comes up is cavities and bad breath, which makes sense to me. Although I've talked to many dentists um, sort of openly. And in fact, I said that to somebody, I said, you know, I worry sometimes about somebody wearing a CPAP and during the night as they're wearing the CPAP, they open up their mouth and they're just, they're getting that dry mouth we talked about. I always worried about dental cavities and caries and whatnot. And so I always told my patients, Hey, if you're wearing a CPAP, it might be a good idea to do like a fluoride rinse and brush your teeth really well, get all the sugar off of them before you go to bed. And, and I've had several dentists tell me the dryness is not the problem. It's always sugar, which stands sort of in conflict with things that I've read that say, well, it's just the, 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 the saliva in your mouth. If it's resting there on your teeth, there's an acid there that the saliva is trying to counteract. And if your mouth is dry and not producing saliva, the acid is, is really the problem. So I, I'm not sure where that acid's coming from. Again, I'm not a dentist, um, but I always tell patients, look, if you're wearing a CPAP, you need to see your dentist to make sure that the use of the CPAP is not contributing. And a lot of people who wear CPAPs wear a humidifier with them, but not everybody. Uh, a lot of, some people do not use the humidifier and I always worry about that too, that it's just dry air being pumped through your nose or your mouth. I think the humidifier makes it far more comfortable. And I say this as somebody who's tried a CPAP in both, both ways before, makes it far more comfortable and may reduce your risk of you know dryness in your nose, sinuses and things like that, but also dental caries. So I do think that keeping your mouth closed at night probably does contribute to better breath a more robust and, and positive, you know, flora in your mouth and, and not cavities. ADHD is an interesting one. Um, and I, there, I was reading a lot of just kind of wax, wacky stuff about, Hey, if your child's a mouth breather, if you can keep them from mouth breathing, it'll cure their ADHD. You know, I've had patients who've had their ADHD cured. I, I tried to find studies about this. All the studies relate back to individuals who have breathing disturbances during the night. So if your child had undiagnosed sleep apnea, I think there's a very 
robust body of evidence that individuals with sleep disturbances, restless leg, narcolepsy, sleep apnea, are more likely to have ADHD or be misdiagnosed as having ADHD. Despite one author's claims that, I'll read what he wrote, I don't want to cite the author because I don't, don't buy it, but it, it wrote, he wrote, some studies suggest that over half of children diagnosed and treated for ADHD might actually be sleeping with their mouths open and spending their days that way. So I looked up and then it was a little, you know, citation. So I actually pulled up the citation. It was a 2004 study from Taiwan. Taiwan is huge into the breathing literature for sure. That when you actually looked at the study, they, there was no reference about the mouth breathing leading to ADHD in over half of children. It was a lot of children with ADHD may have some sort of breathing disturbance, a sleep apnea, upper airway resistance, something of that nature. It's not the fact that their mouth is open. I don't, I don't, there's no evidence I've seen to that. So we're picking, we're taking a leap here. We're, you can't use that study to support that sentence that if we can just get kids to shut their mouth, we'll knock out over 50% of ADHD with one swoop. That's not true. So do I believe that a lot of young people who are diagnosed with ADHD have underlying sleep problems? Absolutely. And that's not an original thought. Mary Karskinen had that thought before I exited third grade, I'm sure. And I write a lot about this in my book, The Rested Child. So if you want more information about that, ADHD and sleep, plenty of it. It's not about the mouth being open, in my opinion, because I see no evidence to support that at all. The final thing that I saw was improved sleep quality. That If you can close your mouth, you improve your sleep quality. As one person wrote who was in support of mouth breathing or mouth taping, sorry, more deep sleep, more REM sleep, better sleep in less time, which I have no idea what that means. Again, listen, I think sleeping with your nose obstructed is terrible. I mean, a huge part of this book, Breath, was doing the experiment of putting these silicone tubes in a guy's nose and taping it up and seeing what it's like to go around not being able to breathe out of your nose. It's miserable. Anybody's ever had a cold when you're so congested, particularly at night, like during the day, you kind of figure it out but you get in bed at night and you just cannot breathe through your nose. So you're breathing through your mouth, makes it really difficult to fall asleep, really uncomfortable. Nobody ever sleeps well that night. So could, you know, that improve REM sleep and deep sleep? I, it probably does, but I don't think there's a lot of evidence supporting that. And I don't know what it means to sleep more, better sleep in less time. Like we need our seven, we need our eight hours and, you know, it's probably better to be able to breathe through your nose when you're doing it than breathe through your mouth. So what are my considerations about mouth taping? You know, I've already said, I'm not sure that we're not just covering something up and by covering up snoring or covering up a partner hearing some sleep apnea, I, that makes me uncomfortable. If you spend some time in my clinic, you know, maybe what we should do is I've always wanted to do this just compile a list or for the next two months. When I read a sleep study of somebody, an adult or a child, whatever, who's come to our clinic and had a sleep study, what is their AHI? In my opinion, this is not scientific. It's usually really high. 
Like by the time you've actually agreed to come see a doctor for your sleep problems, et cetera, and you have your sleep study, I'm often shocked by how many breathing problems you're having. Do I see people with mild apnea? Absolutely. But a lot of people don't. So doing something that might make individuals like that take even longer to get diagnosed with sleep apnea makes me extremely uncomfortable because as it stands now, I think that we're missing people and the, the, the time that it's taking for us to diagnose it is very delayed. If you talk to somebody like Dale Bredesen, who wrote a whole bunch of books about preventing Alzheimer's disease, he believes it too. He's like, look, when it comes to blood sugar and when it comes to sleep apnea and a few other things, we're waiting too long to diagnose and treat. So when somebody comes in who's having 48 breathing problems per hour, hey, I'm glad you came. I can't wait to get you on a CPAP. I think you're going to feel like a million bucks. But if you ask me, hey, do you wish that individual would have come a year ago when they were having 30 breathing problems per hour or two years ago when it was 20? Yeah, absolutely. But I'm glad I got you when I did. So I think we just have to be very careful about that delay. I would almost be more comfortable with somebody coming to me and saying, look, I snore, I stop breathing. Okay, let's do the sleep study. Do the sleep study. You have seven breathing problems per hour. Well, here are some options. Option number one, do nothing. It's always an option. You're the patient. Option number two, get you on a CPAP, but it's a big treatment for a, you know, option number three, get you seated, you know, more upright or off of your back because you seem from the sleep study to sleep better when you're on your side, they're on your back. Maybe another option in there is mouth taping with more research into its safety efficacy. Maybe that's a great option for people in that mild category before you move to the oral appliance, you know, whatever. Like I'm just, we're spitballing here. But at least we've identified the problem and now we're trying to solve it versus being sort of in the dark. Dental, ENT issues, you know, I sometimes worry about those things as well too. What are we doing when we're taping a mouth shut uh, during the night? Is that affecting anything uh, negatively from a dentist or an ENT's perspective? I think it's important that the tape needs to be able to come off easily or you, you should be able to, with a little bit of extra pressure, open your mouth. I do worry about individuals in the middle of the night aspirating, you know, throwing up, you know, so all of a sudden you've had too much to drink, you you were out partying and you come home and you slap your mouth tape on and you fall asleep, you know, on your back. And now all of a sudden you start throwing up, but you can't open your mouth to get rid of the contents you were throwing up. And now they're going back down your windpipe into your lung. That is a bad, bad scene. The stuff coming out of your stomach cannot get into your lungs. It is dirty. It is bacteria filled. And to put it in your lungs can cause some nasty, nasty aspiration pneumonias, if not worse. So I, I just think that that needs to be extremely clear to an individual who's considering mouth tape. I don't think any child should be subjected to mouth tape. I mean, again, these are my opinions. I just think there is a risk there. And we'll hear about some negative consequences of mouth taping, I'm sure as, as time goes on, if you haven't already. And I think that the last thing that was I want to leave you with is that this is not going to radically change anything. You know, I'm going to read to you a passage that unfortunately is from page XIX. So it's from page 19 of the introduction of breath, which I will be honest with you, soured me for the rest of the book. And, and I'll let you make up your own mind how you think about this. No, and I'm quoting the book now. 
no matter what we eat, how much we exercise, how resilient our genes are, how skinny or young or wise we are, none of it will matter unless we're breathing correctly. That's what these researchers discovered. I don't know. I mean, maybe if we eliminate the word correctly, I would buy into a little bit more. You know, none of it matters, you know, unless we're breathing. Yeah, I buy that. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you eat, how skinny you are, your genes, if you're not breathing. That, that's a big leap that you're creating a balanced situation. And on the left side of the balance is our nutrition, our genes, our mindfulness, our exercise. Blah, blah, blah. And on the right side, the way you breathe. I, I, listen, I, I think breathing does matter. It's important. Do I put it on the scale of those things? I don't. And I'm on the record now of saying that in 20 years, we may be like, oh God, back in the day, Chris did not think breathing was as important as nutrition and exercise and mindfulness and cholesterol and all the other things. It didn't matter if you weren't breathing the right way. I, I, I don't think that we can say that. So I, I think that breathing is important, obviously. I like doing it, but I think we have to be very careful about jumping to that kind of extreme. But again, maybe research in the future will tell us otherwise. So that's it. Breathing, mouth taping, done and dusted. If you want to tell me about your experiences with breathing and mouth taping, love to love to hear about it. You can DM me at Dr. Chris Winter TikTok, Dr. Chris Winter Instagram. This will be up on our YouTube page, Sleep Unplugged Podcast. My books, The Sleep Solution and The Rested Child, are available for your consumption. Appreciate uh, the support of those. I also want to give a quick shout out to Abhinav Singh, who just released his book uh, today. And everybody's really excited about that. Um, it's called Sleep to Heal. It's H-E-A-L. And he's just one of the nicest guys out there in sleep medicine. And I really think that you'll do yourself a service by buying his book and supporting him. It'll definitely be in the running for our year-end Book of the Year Award. I uh, can't wait to, to, to read it and get him to sign it. And I hope you enjoy that read as well, too. So that's it. Uh, my name is Dr. Chris Winter. Until the next time we talk, sleep well.